Be part of an innovative fine arts community immersed in a top research university. Carnegie Mellon University's School of Music's world-class vocal department constantly works at the cutting edge of musical art forms. CMU performance faculty are creating projects that leverage musicians' skill sets in unique and applicable ways. Students are challenged to think outside the box as they engage with non-traditional performance spaces, collaboration with electronics, and improvisation, alongside a robust program of traditional studies, languages, recitals, and operas. To learn more about Carnegie Mellon University and to apply, visit the link in the show notes of this episode. This is So Lit Song Lit, where we reimagine the repertoire by introducing less familiar art songs through sound clips and lively discussion. I'm Ellen Rissinger, a vocal coach who spent much of her career working in major German opera houses, currently on the music faculty of Carnegie Mellon University. I'm Tony Marie Palmertree, a soprano currently performing with such houses as the San Francisco Opera, Chicago Lyric, and the Metropolitan Opera, also teaching privately and at the collegiate level. Together, we'll be exploring songs by composers that you may or may not have heard of already, showing how they compare to standard works, and giving you a taste of what they sound like. So Lit Song Lit is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. So Lit Song Lit, reimagining the repertoire. Welcome to the inaugural episode of... So lit. Song lit. Yes. <laughs> Trying to get Tony's inflection on that. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> Part of the reason I, that I was really interested in doing a podcast like this is because I have been home from Germany for three years. And in that time, I have coached four tenors on the same song cycle. <laughs> I feel like we get stuck in ruts. Mm. We know these song cycles. So we're like, I should do that same thing as everybody else. Mm. But there's so much good repertoire out there. Oh my gosh, yeah. I think that was the blessing of being locked down was that after sort of grieving for a little while, we had some space and some time to kind of like dig around and explore things that normally we wouldn't have time to do. And also we had to come up with our own work, you know, some projects. We had to create them ourselves. Right. So that was a beautiful blessing to come from COVID, if there is any (laughs) bright side to that. (laughs) We're still kind of grieving from that, but I think that this project is definitely a reflection of how the world in general, we're all trying to move forward and find some new things to focus on. And this music is a wonderful distraction. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And one of the things that Tony and I focused on throughout the pandemic was doing concerts of all women composers. Yes. So it's only right that our first episode, we are talking about the 24 Italian songs by women composers. Yeah. Have you ever sung any of the 24 Italian art songs, the old school book? Have I ever sung them? Are you kidding? My book (laughs) is in shreds. (laughs) I think so is mine. (laughs) I think every... (laughs) Every 24 Italian songs in Aria's book that I've ever seen is always like catters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we need to put that book down and give it a rest. Exactly. So there is a book that was compiled and annotated by Nicole Leone and Randy Marazzo, and it was published by Hildegard Publishing. And this has 24 Italian songs by women composers. 
So we thought we'd talk about a few of them, give you some ideas of what they sound like, what you could compare them to maybe, what they would be good for, and then give you the chance to look this music up for yourself. So the first song that, that we really liked, I mean, let's face it, we actually have a list of about 15 mm-hmm. <laughs> of like songs that we liked out of this book. But the first one that we wanted to give a, a little taste of is Chi brama in amore, composed by Barbara Strozzi. She was a Baroque composer and actually lived in the 1600s, basically before Handel and Bach. Mm. I mean, both of them were born sometime in the late 1600s. She actually passed away in the late 1600s. So she was rather early and at the time was a very celebrated composer. Yeah, she published a ton of music. It's incredible how much music she published. It was like the most secular music, I think, in in her time period. Could be. Not just for women, but But for everybody. Everybody, yeah. And I had done one piece of hers a few years ago in a recital for soprano. I played it on harpsichord with soprano and then two violins. It was gorgeous, a lovely little cantata type Mm. piece. So there's there's lots of other things that she has. Amazing. What we loved about this was that while you can feel the Baroque sort of dance rhythms in it, it had a lot of rhythmic changes. So I feel like we get a little bit of a Renaissance feel sometimes. Yes, and you need to re-annotate the, the notes when you sing like you would in Renaissance music because um, we're singing just one word with repeated notes. So we would attack those the way that we would in that time period. Yeah. And I, I love this adagio because I feel like it's not, it's not ridiculously chromatic, but it's just a little chromatic. Mm-hmm. It gives you something fun to sort of chew on. Oh, yes. talk about is Gialanotte Savicina. Actually, the next two are by Isabel Colbran. And I have to say, this song specifically reminds me of Un Moto di Gioia mm. by Mozart. Mm-hmm. But the next one we're going to talk about feels like Bellini. So mm. I feel like she really straddles that line of classical bel canto. Mm-hmm. I mean, she lived in the early 1800s, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, she married Rossini. Yes, and honestly, the most cool part to me is that she was an opera singer. Right? (laughs) (laughs) No offense. (laughs) But she she actually created several roles in Rossini operas and married him. They ended up estranged, but still married at her death. I mean, it's kind of fun. We don't think about Rossini's wife. No, never. We, We never talk about her. We certainly don't talk about her as a composer, but she's put together several collections of music. So there's quite a bit to choose from. So in this piece, what reminds me of Un Moto di Gioia is, I guess, the 6-8. Mm. And also it feels kind of classical, but it's got a little bit of a Bellini lilt, I mm. would say, to the to the melody. 
What Definitely. do you think? Oh, it, yeah, and it sits perfectly. Um, it, the vocal line is a, a beautifully written line that just lilts over the top and then back down. And the other one is the next one in the book, La Speranza al Cormidice. And while the first two measures of this actually remind me of Mozart's Aus Luise, Die Briefe ihres ungetreues Liebhabers, Verbrannt, I don't know, I forget the title of that. I think <laughs> I would know the title before I start saying it. Um, but the first two measures kind of remind me of those measures. They're very angular. And then we get this super Bellini two against three, very taffy, mm. legato feeling. Yes. piece and it just sings itself because of the way that she's written it yeah she's got all the like little ornaments in it that give the voice a chance to really shine and bloom mm -hmm. a little bit yes nice long notes that lead to ornaments it's beautiful yeah and the last composer in the book that we want to talk about is maria Szymanowska. she was a polish composer who ended up settling in saint petersburg and ran her own I would say her own soirees there, if mm. that makes sense. Mm. She was actually one of the earliest concert pianists. Mm. I think from what I read, not just one of the earliest female concert pianists, but actually one of the first overall concert pianists. So it makes sense that most of her compositions include piano in them. So she wrote songs, she wrote piano works, she actually wrote a piano concerto and some smaller chamber works, but all of it had piano in it. Mm. This piece has a lot of angles to it, so it definitely takes a little bit of time to speak through it and then sing through it and find a way to make sure that the legato carries through the line, because certainly the way that the melody ends is not where the text should end. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I feel that too. And also there's, there's a lot of stress release, and some mm -hmm. of it's on two eighth notes and some of it's on quarter notes, it mm -hmm. feels very unstable. Yes, and it gives a good challenge for the singer to express themselves and, and work out these issues to be able to make music um, is a really great exercise. Unfortunately for me as the pianist, I do feel like the piano part is not quite as challenging as it could have been yeah. coming from a concert pianist, but it is very much of that... I would say bel canto time period. You'll you'll hear it feels. I mean, it feels like you're doing one of the twenty four Italian art songs. No, oh, definitely. 
It feels very much like that. And I feel like, did I forget to say the title of this? I think I was so concentrated on saying Maria Shimanovska correctly that I did not say that we're doing Sespiegar. Mm. Sespiegar. the songs. There are 24 songs in this book. Some of them are duets. There are a couple that are specifically for mezzo. There are some that have French text as well as Italian text. So you have choices there. Some of the songs also have two available keys. Yes, lovely. Where can we purchase this? You can get these from Hildegard and we will put the link in our show notes. And what level are we talking about? Oh, I definitely think that this could be for more beginning students. It can also be for your more advanced students. There's lots of lessons to be learned in these pieces. And just like the original 24 Italian songs in Aria's book, coming back to those songs as a professional <laughs> and having learned so much more about language and rhythm and et cetera, et cetera, and style, you really start to appreciate them more and more. And I believe that this book will also grow with your singers and musicians the same way that the other book has grown with us. Musical performances for this episode were performed by Tony Marie and Ellen and recorded at the Camp Recording Studio in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. Purchase information for the scores discussed in this episode are available in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find this podcast. And if you enjoyed it, you could also check out The Diction Police, another podcast by Ellen. So Lit, Song Lit is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about their network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional songmaking at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org audit.